Glad to have you, whoever you are. Praise the Lord. Ah, hallelujah. Hi there. Hello, it's Helen. Hi, Helen. Hello, Dinger. Hi, Vicki. That sounds like a familiar voice. It's not Dinger, it's Dingy. <laughs> ah, if I have to stay cooped up here another month, I am going to be Dingy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll be fine. Yes, God will take care of us. God will take care of us. All righty then. How long till we start? Um, couple minutes. Okay, I gotta go make supper quick. Probably be <laughs> peanut butter sandwiches. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Well, glad to be on. Glad to have you here, Linda. Who else wants to say hello? Hi, Vicki. Hi, Vicki. I'll try to stay awake tonight. <laughs> That'd be good. Okay. Hallelujah. Peace and blessings on you. Happy Good Friday. Amen. Happy Good Friday. I think I heard I think I heard Claudia. Who else did I hear? Praise the Lord. Hi, Gretchen. How you Hi, Gretchen. Hi, Bless Shalom. Hi, Shabbat Shalom. Did it right this time. This is since it's Shabbat. Or Friday date night. I missed that, Gretchen. What did you say? It's Friday date night with the Lord. That's right. Date night with the Lord. It's been date night with the Lord since... 2005, I think. Yep. Hallelujah. Who else wants to say hello, hello, before I mute your phones? Count your blessings, name them one by one. 
count your blessings. God is good. Amen. We had a young man drive up from Fort Myers to Jacksonville today to bring his friend to get saved. Hallelujah. God is good. God God is good. Amen. Who else wants to say hello before I mute your phones? And we'll get started. Nobody? Okay. Well, I'm going to mute your phones now. Hang on. Praise God. Tell the people who we are, baby. Hello. Good evening, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us here. We're Freedom's Way Ministries. My name is Phil Burdett. I'm here with my wife, Vicki. Our mission is to teach you or to help you come into your true identity in Christ so that you can walk in freedom, deliverance, and power in your life. It's an amazing change to be in Christ. So we teach you that Christ's an identity and help you walk in your true identity. But tonight we're teaching on spiritual deception about poverty and prosperity. So I'm going to get us started. I'm going to pray us in. Thank you, Father, for your word tonight. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We are thankful for all your abundant blessings, all your benefits, all that you are and all that you do. So we bless you tonight. We say, Holy Spirit, have your way in this message tonight that you speak to your people. Help them grow up in you to become more like you. And Thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you're guiding it, and we turn aside any assignment from hell that would try to disrupt or confuse any message that's being delivered tonight that the Holy Spirit wants you to have and help you grow in. So we bless you tonight, and we are saying again, Holy Spirit, have your way. Teach us and guide us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Freedom's Way is going to be putting out another book. This one is, well, it's awesome. That's all I can say. And it's all about how we can come into our true identity by knowing who we are and knowing how we've been deceived by the enemy. And we are into chapter 9, <coughs> excuse me, which is what we're presenting tonight. And the 
the chapter title is Spiritual Deception About Poverty and Prosperity. So we'll get right into it. Another area in which God's people have been deceived is that of poverty and prosperity. Some of us spend an inordinate amount of our time trying to figure out why God seems to bless other people, but not us. Or, why do we do everything we can to move the hand of God to prosper us financially, and it just doesn't seem to happen? Or why our bank accounts dwindle just when things start looking up? Job tells us, touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. In other words, there are some things about God that are unexplainable and which we likely may not understand. (coughs) Excuse me. But Job goes on to say, he is excellent in power and judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. So even though we may not understand why some horrific things might have happened to us, we can know with a certainty it wasn't God that caused them. Our biggest problems stem from the way we tend to want to correct God when we see that his word and our reality don't match up. If we pray in faith and the thing we pray for doesn't happen, we have a tendency to make up a reason that makes sense to our human minds as to why it didn't happen. This is how false doctrine and doctrines of devils come into being in the church. Hell works to form a lie about God and bring doubt about his word into our minds. Out of our hurts and woundedness or our poverty and lack, we create a reason for whatever we see, and oftentimes that reason will oppose the word of God. The body of Christ seems to spend a lot of time walking by sight and not by faith. It's really hard not to do that sometimes, especially when, for example, we've been faithfully tithing and the washing machine breaks down or the car dies, and we say, wait a minute, God, didn't you say you'd rebuke the devourer? Well, I'm being devoured here, God. Help me out. (laughs) Help, help. Remember, if the counterfeit didn't look real, we wouldn't be fooled by it. I remember in the small town where I grew up, there was a really good printer. And for 20 years, he printed counterfeit $20 bills. No one knew it. He was an upstanding member of the community and had even served as president of the local chamber of commerce. He would probably still be printing counterfeit money today if it hadn't been for a couple of young kids who found some of his not-so-perfect bills in the trash bin out back of his shop and started playing with them. Their parents took notice and asked where they got the play money, and that's how he was finally stopped. And that's how it is in the spirit realm. The enemy continues to do what he can to fool us by presenting something that looks very real and yet won't hold up under careful examination. 
we are carefully examining some of the counterfeit ideas the devil has instilled into the church and realizing how they don't hold up in the light of the truth. What have we been taught, or what do we generally believe about God and the subject of money? Well, for one thing, we've been told that we are supposed to be poor, that we should give up everything to the church and help others, and that somehow we can be closer to God and more spiritual if we are poor. Next, we are taught that God holds it against us if we don't give him money. We are told that God won't bless us if we don't give him money. There's a lot of coercion in some churches concerning tithing. And I've heard more manipulation from the pulpit about tithing than perhaps any other subject. Remember this. The best lie from hell has the most truth from heaven in it. A lie of the enemy is often a truth of God that has simply been twisted and perverted or is part truth rather than complete truth. Also, we've been told that Jesus was poor, and so to be like him, we need to be poor too. These are few of the off-balance beliefs which we will do our best to correct this evening. Hallelujah. Let's take the first one. That Christians are supposed to be poor. And let's just come right out and say this. Being more spiritual by suffering poverty and lack is a lie from hell. So where does this idea come from? There are a couple places in the word that people use to support the warped concept of poverty being a good thing. Matthew nineteen twenty one through 24 says, Jesus said unto him, If you will be perfect, Go and sell that you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Many of us know this story of the rich young ruler, and we take it as a directive from the Lord for everyone. Because Jesus says it's difficult for a man to enter the kingdom of heaven if he has a lot of stuff, we think that means nobody who is truly interested in kingdom living should have anything. That belief makes no sense when you really examine it. We cannot give into good works when we have nothing to give. You can't give out of a void. So let's examine what this passage is saying. First of all, Jesus recognized that the young man didn't have money. Money had him. And we all need to to see that in the scripture. His treasure was in what he had, (coughs) pardon me, and therefore his estate held his heart. Matthew 6.21 states, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
This verse tells us our hearts are linked to something called treasure. Jesus wanted his heart. When we think of treasure, most of us think of money. So we can see that finances get hooked into our hearts without our conscious knowledge. Jesus knew that was a problem with this young man. When the Lord can touch what's important to us, he can begin to capture our hearts. And we all need to realize God wants our hearts. Can we have great possessions and still give our hearts to the Lord? Well, certainly we can. And at the same time, it's true that the more we have, the more we have to take care of. So having a great estate can take up a lot of our time and energy which is likely what had happened to this young man. Jesus was saying, I want to spend time with you. I want a relationship with you. But your stuff is in the way. When he said it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he was saying that having to steward a great estate makes it impractical to arise into the realm of happiness, power, and eternity in our daily lives. Is that true? Well, it was for this man and for many people who have great riches. Some people are so captured by dollar signs that they know the cost of everything but the value of nothing. They are sometimes unable to separate themselves from the worry of what they have, how they can keep it, how they might lose it, how they can get more of it, and so on. This can be true whether a person has a little or a lot. When your focus is on how to keep the abundance of the abundance you already have or your focus is continually on what you don't have, then money becomes your priority. We can safely say that the idea of Jesus wanting us all to give up what we have and live in abject poverty in order to be closer to him, is pure deception. What he wants is our hearts. And if money is the thing that has our hearts, we need to be redirected. God's word is very clear that he wants us to prosper. But we need to consider that our prosperity does not simply happen. The Lord has set up prosperity principles in the earth, and when we follow them, we will surely succeed. Money is not a bad thing. Loving money more than God is a bad thing. This is the other scripture which people use to say that God wants us poor. It's in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The writer of these verses knew that the spirit of mammon uses money to entrap and enslave God's people by pulling our focus onto riches and away from God. He said that they will they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. Well, in other words, those who focus on getting more and more money lose sight of what's really important and end up drowning in destruction and pierced with sorrows. It isn't money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money, an overflowing love that sweeps away the things of God and carries us into hurtful lust. Remember, God wants our hearts. He doesn't need our money. He knows he has our hearts when we follow his directives. <laughs> there are 82 places in Scripture which use the words prosper, prospereth, prospered, and prosperity. A great number of these verses connect prosperity to obedience, but not one tells us it's good or that it is God's will that we are for. In the book of Genesis, Abraham tells his servant, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. In Deuteronomy, Moses told the people, keep the words of the covenant and do them, and you will prosper in all you do. Joshua was told to be strong and courageous and keep the law of Moses, not turning aside from it so that, quote, you may prosper wherever you go. King David's advice to his son Solomon was the same in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn yourself. In the days of King Jehoshaphat, an awesome prophecy of God's grace for battle was given, and he was told there would be no fight but that the Lord himself would destroy their enemies. And then in 2 Chronicles 20.20, the king told the people this. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. Believe his prophets. So shall you prosper. The word of God goes on and on about how prosperity and success are connected to our relationship with God. This is a principle set up by God. He is our provider and our provision. And prosperity 
in all things comes from him and him alone. Not from anything we can do on our own. Even those people who don't recognize God and yet they prosper in the world are actually receiving from God because he is the provider. There is no such thing as a self-made man. Psalms 100, verse 3, Know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. James 1, 16 through 17, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We can see a couple of truths so far. God is the one who prospers us. He wants our hearts, and he knows he has our hearts when we follow his directives. The word says we prosper according to his riches in glory. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Perhaps it means we should each ask ourselves, how rich is he in glory in me? How much Jesus do I reflect? I believe the more we demonstrate the glory of Jesus in us, the more he can pour out his riches into our lives. When we suffer lack, it is generally because we have concentrated our time and talents and energies on our own domain rather than on his kingdom business. God is certainly not obligated to uphold any kingdom we build for ourselves. The book of Haggai says we have not considered our ways and have forsaken the house of God. Haggai 1, 3 through 7, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O you, to dwell in sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God wants us to prosper, but we have a responsibility in the process. We are to consider our ways. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If we are, then we can know for a certainty that all things we need will be provided for us. Pardon me. The next false doctrine about poverty 
is that being poor will somehow make us more like Jesus. Is that scriptural? First of all, was Jesus poor the way we think of poverty? I hardly think so. At one point in his ministry, he supported 70 missionaries. The garment the soldiers cast lot for was a prize. They surely would not have wanted the cloak of a beggar. In John 19, verse 23 and 24, it says this, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. By the scripture, we know this piece of clothing was so well made and valuable that no one wanted to destroy it, and all of them wanted it for themselves. The verse in 2 Corinthians, which tells us Jesus became poor, is an exaggeration to show us the amazing, divine exchange the Lord made on our behalf. Compared to the riches of heaven, earthly living would seem to be a beggarly existence. For you to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Jesus knew the richness of heaven, and he gave it up to be born into the earth as a man, just like us. He had wealth on earth, too, but he gave that up to go to the cross and die. He made himself obedient to poverty so he could overcome poverty and destroy it. This verse is very clear. We who believe through his poverty may be rich. God wants us to be rich, not poor. Being like him doesn't mean we become poor. It means we become rich through him. Now, let's address the issue of God wanting us to give him money. Again, the Lord set up a principle in the earth. It's like the principle of gravity. It's working in the world. God doesn't say, don't step off the cliff. If you step off the cliff, I'll punish you. God says, don't step off the cliff. If you step off the cliff, there's a principle working. The fall may not hurt you, but that sudden stop at the bottom can be deadly. It's not a commandment to tithe or to give offerings into the kingdom of God. But there is a clear directive from God to do so. People may say that tithing, which means giving a tenth of what you gain, is 
old covenant and under the law. And so it's not important for us today. We need to realize that tithing did not start with the law, and it is not a part of the law other than being incorporated into it. Tithing was a part of the covenant. It was established 430 years before the law. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, talks about this, says the following, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Abram, whose name was changed by God to Abraham, tithed to Melchizedek. This occurred, as previously stated, 430 years before the law came into being. In addition, we are clearly told that the law cannot destroy the covenant. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, says the following, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Certainly, we can see that tithing is a part of the covenant of God. We also understand that tithing carries a principle of blessing with it. If we consider ourselves covenant children of God, then we give back to the Lord a portion of what clearly belongs to him. We first give ourselves, and then we release into his kingdom the first fruits of our increase. We first give ourselves. Don't miss that. We don't mix the holy set-apart things with the common things. We don't give God what's left over after we pay our bills and do what we want to do. We honor him with the first fruits of our labors, and he honors us for honoring him. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Please understand that tithing to the Lord is not for the purpose of getting our needs met by him. The Lord will take care of us and provide us shelter and food simply because he loves us and not in return for anything we can do, including tithing. 
However, there is a principle working. Scripture proves it. When we honor God with the first fruits of our increase, our barns, that's our bank account, the storehouse of our substance, will be filled with abundance. That's good news. Once again, though, we see there is a heart issue involved. We should not tithe because we have to. If tithing seems to be some sort of drudgery or obligation, then the heart is not right. We should not tithe out of fear either. If we think by not tithing it will cause us to be financially destroyed, then our hearts are not right. God loves a cheerful giver, not a worried giver or a fearful giver or a reluctant giver. He wants our hearts, remember? And in other words, we don't give back because we want to be blessed. We give because we are blessed. We don't give to have more. We have more because we give. Paul said it was good to give, not because he needed it, but because those that were giving needed it. In his letter to the church at Philippi, he talked about how generous they had been toward him. You'll see this in Philippians 4, verse 14 to 17. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Matters of money matter to the Lord. There are almost ten times as many verses in the New Testament about finances as there are about either faith or salvation. There are 2,084 verses that talk about money and finances, 218 verses concerning salvation, 215 verses about faith. So matters of money really do matter to God. He wants to prosper us. He wants us to be fully aware that how we feel about money, how we respond to financial situations, and how we treat people in relation to finances can make a big difference in how effective we are in fulfilling our purpose in the kingdom. People are the stewards of his resources, and that includes financial resources. God wants us to prosper. He wants us to be good stewards of our prosperity. He wants us to recognize the principles he has established in the earth in this area. Giving is only one of them, but it is a big one. So know this, that none of us can outgive God. Luke 6:38 <clears throat> Give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom 
For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Give and it shall be given to you. We cannot give if we live in poverty. It stands to reason that if God wants us to give into good works, he also wants us prosperous enough to do so. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That puts to rest the idea we have to be poor to be spiritual. We also saw that Jesus' poverty was a comparative issue. Earthly living can't stand up to heavenly living in any aspect, including riches. That puts to rest the idea that we have to become poor to be like Jesus. Finally, we've seen that God doesn't require money to bless us. We want to go one more place to prove this. We've been told to sow a seed into something in order to get something back. And there is a truth to that, but it's not the entire truth. The principle of sowing and reaping is a valid principle, but not the way many of us have been taught. Sowing and reaping actually has nothing to do with whether or not God meets our needs. Sowing and reaping is not the method of meeting our needs. To think that way is works of righteousness. If I give God if I give, God will meet my need. It's wrong and deceptive to believe. If I do something for God, he'll do something for me. That is actually anti gospel. That's a strong statement, but Jesus himself taught against sowing and reaping as a way to meet needs. You might remember in Matthew 6, 25 and 26, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. It is not is not life more than meat, and body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Hallelujah. I want to revisit um, what you just read there and reword it. Sowing and reaping is not the method of meeting our needs. It reads... Now, to think that way is works righteousness. I think maybe a better way to say it would be to think that way is righteousness by works. That way, nobody's going to stumble over that. Thank you for that. Uh, Thank you for the grace for me to interject that. So, we'll go on. How many times have we heard these words or something similar? Do you have a need tonight? Then give. Give more. Give it all. 
God will meet that need as you make your offering. The more you give, the more you get. Do you need money? Then give. Sow into God's kingdom and he will meet your need. In this warped interpretation of God's principle of sowing and reaping, we're using money to make God do something when money should be the means to accomplish the thing God told us to do. It's upside-down thinking. When we believe sowing is the way to get our needs met, what happens? We can't pay the rent. We sow into the offering expecting God to pay our rent, and he doesn't. What does that do to our faith? What about when we try to tell somebody else, well, if you were just given more, you wouldn't have this problem. I tried all that. It didn't happen for me. Using sowing to meet needs sets up a situation that often results in a blow to the credibility of the Word of God and the love of God. God's provision comes to me not because of what I do. God's provision comes to me for only one reason. He loves me. Everything I have comes to me as a gift of his grace received by faith. Provision comes because God loves us, not because of anything we can do. The provision we give our children is not based on what they sow into the house. That is just plain foolish. You can feel confident to make this confession. My Father in heaven loves me, and because he loves me, he provides for me. Because he loves me, he wants to see me prosper in my finances as well as in my health and in my relationship. When we line up in agreement with God and understand his heart on the matter of poverty and lack, we can then destroy it from our lives. Jesus came that we might have abundant life, not meager life. The thief comes not but to steal, steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And that is John 10, 10. Hallelujah. More Hallelujah. And that is the end of the chapter. We will pray. These prayers will be in the book. Um, So I'm just going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud. Father God, Father God, I humble my heart before you, and I ask your forgiveness for making my financial condition, money or the lack of money, an idol in my life. I can see that many times I have been so focused, so focused on what I have and how to keep it, how to keep it or on what I don't have and how to get it, what I don't have, how to get it 
that I have lost sight of my first love for you. I have lost sight of my first love for you. Help me, Lord, to realign my priorities. Help me, Lord, realign my priorities. With your priorities. Your priorities. So that I can truly seek first. So that I can truly seek first. Your kingdom and your righteousness. I know that as I do that, I will never lack for anything. Forgive me, Father, for thinking that I have to give in order to receive from you. And forgive me for feeling guilty when I prosper. I am sorry, Lord, for having warped views of who you are and the vast treasures you desire to pour into my life, treasures not only of finances, Father, but also of health and joy. Make me a good steward of what I'm given. Make me a good steward of what I am given. So that I can show myself worthy, Father. So that I can show myself, myself worthy, Father. Of your many blessings in my life. Blessings in my life. And can also be an example. Can also be an example. Of your godliness to others. I freely give you my heart, Lord, for you are the true treasure. I desire to be the cheerful giver that you love. Help me to trust in you and not in myself or my bank account. Show me, Father God, the ministries and the people you want to bless through me so that I can advance your kingdom and not my own agenda. Thank you for these truths that you have revealed. Help me to consider my ways. And not fall back back into old patterns and old fears. fears. I want to hold these truths in my heart and be the conduit for good you desire for me to be. I know that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ makes this possible, and I thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you have a comment or a question, you can push the star six key on your telephone keypad. And you will be heard. Hi there. Hi there. It's Carrie, and 
I swear I did not hear this teaching on Monday. <laughs> I swear it's I'm like, I didn't catch that. What was wait, did they say you no? Know? <laughs> thank you. Uh, I just and thank you what during the prayer I when you said at the very end you said, and thank you for um helping me helping me it was a lot one of the last lines. Um, helping me to remember and to mm. to consider my ways. Yeah, but there was consider something else. My way. There was not something that I back in, yeah, not yeah. fall back into old patterns and old fears. Oh, but, yes, not fall back. Keep going. Keep going. Hold these truths in my heart. Yes, it conduit for good that you desire me to be. And. That you create, that you want to be, or that you want me to be, or something that I just added. You created me to be. I just it had much more oomph in it. I went, oh my gosh, I was created to be that conduit. I better, I better straighten up, (laughs) you know, and get get things in order because it's exactly who I want to be. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel like I have long. But I'm really, really, I'm glad I'm getting set back on the track. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Me too, sister. Who else has something to say tonight? Star six. Next week, we're going to look at another area of spiritual deception, and that is spiritual deception about death. Ooh. Vicky, I feel break up the chapters in half and I would I would still miss stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway. I understand. There this is really you are correct. This is probably meat and, the, meat and potatoes. The meat yeah, this is the meatiest book yet, ever. Yeah, I mean, it, there's so much in it, so much. And and praise God. Yes. But, you know, I, I, I like it that way. I don't like a lot of filler. I mean, it's not something that... You can just read and put down. I mean, it's something that you're going to study and grow in. Right. Hallelujah. Right. I felt like it would be where I'd read a paragraph and sit with it for a few days. Like read it over and over and over. Yeah. So I grew. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. So... Who else has something that they want to say? Star six, if that's you. Hey, Vicki, yes, Gretchen. <clears throat> I just think it was really well written. Again, I don't know if you cleaned it up from Monday, but yeah, I heard a lot of different things. Um, and, well, money's been a struggle, I guess, for me. I had the, I think that Poverty is tied so much to self-hatred, and 
And I had a real conflict with it in ministry, I think because we're not really supposed to ask for it. It's just supposed to come if we're worthy, like according to some of the scripture. They'll bless you. You should be satisfied with food, clothing, and just furthering the kingdom. And I don't know. It was really well done. I got really caught up in the law to where I actually baptized, like, every time I'd tithe, I'd baptize and alms, like, trying to make up for, I mean, and then I went over the top and was like, no, I'm not going to tithe until my heart is right. But, you know, my heart, uh, I guess, still has a long way to go. And I just thought it was very balanced. Uh, I think... If somebody has a religious spirit, that it will come against it enough to chip it down that God can free them, whoever is reading. Uh, And what is it, Lord? I guess the other thing is I'm learning because poverty has been so tied to self-abuse or victimization or walking out of belief that I wasn't worth anything. And I know that I'm just now uh, like the least poor I've been in decades, which is not much. It's still poverty, but, um, it it was only in business where I started to say, uh, no, actually, you other people have stolen from me, so I'm not going to give you that opportunity to steal from me again. And I started treating people differently in such a way that I developed more of a backbone and uh, even how I feel about myself. So money actually is very important. I do see why the Lord brings it up because... It's a reflection of character, and mm-hmm. but, yeah, I think I'm talking Amen. too much. Absolutely. Better way. No, I, I think that I think that everything that has come out of your mouth is valuable, and I really, really appreciate what you had to say. Um, you know, regarding the balance, and um, and also the tie-in to to self-hatred and victimization because that 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 is so true if we do not think that we're worth anything then we settle for our poverty I think the difference that I've noticed in myself is that if someone was going to steal from the Lord, I'd be like, yo, you got to deal with that. You know what I mean? Where maybe that's not right. Maybe we're supposed to say, look, you stole. Like, you're not supposed to do that. Here's a niacin sapphira for you, you know, where I'm not really ready to go there either. <laughs> you know, 
saying. So, yeah, like, and there uh, is balance. There is balance. There is balance in it, in in all. So we can't judge another person's heart. And I have to really, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I have to really watch and guard my own heart so often regarding money and ministry. Because Freedom's Way has been so cautious and in not withholding from people because they don't send donations or they don't, you know, pay for time or whatever it is. And that was because that's what the Lord said at the very beginning of the ministry with the very first book. You know, I put a price on it like every other ministry in the world does. And he said, well, what are you going to do if somebody can't afford to buy it? And I said, well, I'm going to give it to them. He said, then give it to them anyway. And that spilled over into everything that we've done to date. I will say this book is going to have a price on it. Because this was not a book that God directed me to write. It was a book that was, is a, it's a by request. It's a by request from many people over the years to put it all together, put it all together in one place. Let me hold it in my hand. Let me study. Let me read. Let me, you know. So it it is going to have a price on it. And then, of course, if somebody really can't afford it, I'm going to give it to them anyway. (laughs) Oh, praise God. But I have to guard my heart about that. Because it would be easy to fall into um, judging others. No? It would be easy. I don't receive that for you. <laughs> I mean, when I talk with you, I always hear the Lord say, freely she is given and freely she gives. I always hear that. And I'm like, wow, Vicki. <laughs> wow. Great example. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I remember when I afford to, to have a long-distance line to be able to call you guys, and you sent me cards. Come on. I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've come a long way, baby. <laughs> like, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Wow. Mm. And wow. and you know, I am very grateful. I am very grateful. The Lord has been very faithful, and He does put it on people's hearts, you know, to to send this or send that. It always comes in the nick of time, as they say, but also to to cover the 
to cover the expenses and to cover the postage and to cover the CDs and to cover the books. And, you know, he's faithful. He is faithful. And and to cover those things like sending out phone cards when people couldn't pay for long distance and sending out CD players when they didn't have any way to play the CDs and different things over the over the years. Um, it's never been a problem. So praise the Lord. Grace, he's he's so gracious. Yes, he is. And you know, when you are diligent in the Lord's business, you are going to succeed. You are going to succeed. Amen. And Phil and I are not wildly successful in terms of the way the world would look at success. It's different. You know, it's very different. You know, our cars are more than 10 years old. And we don't live in a big fancy house. And we don't have, you know, we're, we're simple. But God is faithful. God is faithful. I'm just hoping he makes me into that. I feel like he is making me into that cheerful giver, you know? And, and I'm like, okay, now, what does that mean? And I, I, my, <laughs> my procrastination has really gotten, gotten in the way, too. So when I hear him say it, I'm like, well... I can't go out today, and I can't do this. I mean, I I hear myself reciting the I can'ts, and I go, this is part of the problem. (laughs) Yeah, I know. know. Yeah. Well, praise God. He has um, he has perfect timing in all things, Carrie. So, who else would like to say something? Star six. I've been very excited about the way the book is going. It's um I'm revisiting a lot of things that I've said and taught over the years in addition to what God is throwing in additionally. And it's um I'm I'm growing, I'm learning. So God is good. Because he's a cheerful giver. praise the lord okay no one else has anything to say to add to question to comment thank you brother and sister i'm sorry thank you hey thank you brother and sister thanks for sharing your book with us Thank you for sharing your book with us and sharing your sharing the word with us and all your love. Bless you, brother. God bless you, man. Bless you, brother and sister. God bless you all. Thank you for being there for us. It is our pleasure. Truly, truly.
Well, sir, are you ready to bless God's people? Thank you, Father, for this time in your word. We appreciate we appreciate your goodness. Thank you for anointing us with this word, speaking to our hearts, helping us to grow up to be more like you. We are a thankful people, Lord. And we give you all the honor and all the glory. I pray protection over your people. I plead the blood of Jesus over all the people on this line, Lord, that you protect them from harm, that no pestilence comes near their dwelling. And we tell that virus thing that you get back and you will not affect God's people. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your protection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your people, Lord, that are faithful, that are here and growing in you. I ask you to bless them. And as Aaron bless the people of Israel, I will bless you now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. He saw Adonai upon May the Lord lift his face unto you. And be gracious unto you. He saw Adonai upon Abelachal, the Assem, Lacha Shalom. May the Lord lift his countenance unto you and give you his Shalom, his peace. And I add, in the name of Jesus, in Yeshem, and in Yeshem Yeshua, the name of Jesus who is our Sar Shalom, our Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord, for blessing your people. And I bless you and say, have a great weekend. Lord, I ask you to camp your angels around your people. Protect them this weekend. Give them your word. Give them your peace in all that they do and say. Give them peace, Lord, in their homes and protection in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Christo Anesto. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jesus. Happy Easter, everybody. God bless. God bless. Hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen. Celebrate the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Amen. I just wanted to add, happy on, um, I'm sure there's a lot of celebration, but I just heard, because, you know, I've been listening to Fox a lot. Um, Mike, or actually, Frank, I think I got an email from the Franklin Graham um, ministry that Michael W. Smith on Sunday at 10 o'clock on Fox is going to sing in New York City where the Franklin Graham, you know, where he has his um, hospital, the little, <clears throat> the, the health care for the corona. I don't know if you're familiar. Huh. Franklin Graham, you know Franklin Graham. Okay, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, 
what is it that he, it's called, um, it begins, Samaritan's Purse. I think it's very big. Okay, you know, he, yeah. yeah. Samaritan's Purse. Okay, so Frank, like Billy Graham's son, that's who he is. So, um, yeah. you know, he they, they put a unit right in the middle of New York City. You know, they set up like, I don't know, 20 tents and they, 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 basically volunteer and uh, serve to treat these corona patients. It's one, I mean, it's amazing what he does, you know, right. all throughout the world. Anyway, so he, I just got an email from the ministry that um, Michael W. Smith is going to sing. And Michael, you know, he's like, I think everyone knows Michael yeah. W. Smith. He's going to yeah. sing on Fox News on uh, at 10 o'clock on Sunday, if, you know, if you guys are... You know, Praise I know God. there's a lot of them. Not, yeah, he's going to sing uh, with, you know, there. And um, Franklin Graham's going to, they, they're just going to have a special there. So uh, I'm sure there's a lot of online, you know, ministries are doing all kinds of nice things. Oh, yeah. But, and then I I wanted to add, as you guys were talking, I didn't get a chance because I, I was on mute and I was talking. Um. It's all his, right? Like, you know, we hear that. Yeah. That it's, yeah, the money is all, we always hear that. We take it. But I think God tests us on that. I mean, it's how, whether you're blessed or you're not blessed, I mean, it's, he tests us on our time, especially now. Everything is his. And all everything belongs to Everything. And we know that and we say it, but he tests us on it, especially now, you know? You know, Lisa, any test that God gives us is not so he can find out, is so we will see our own hearts. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Big time. Uh, My heart's been revealed a lot. God bless you, woman. Really, yeah, same. God bless you. Happy Easter. Um, and I've heard somebody say Christos and Nessi. That's the Greek way in Greek. Someone yeah. said it. Or you maybe yeah, said right. it. I, Greek, I did it. They Christ celebrate Christ it next yeah, week. Yeah, Christ is yeah. the Greek. The Greek um, church celebrates it a week later. They go by the older calendar. So, um, but still, I celebrate it, yeah. you know. I grew up Greek, but so, yeah. So, happy Easter. Have a wonderful, blessed holiday. Looking forward to hearing Monday. Yep. Monday's message. Yeah. Yeah, and it's very timely because Christ is risen, and then we're going to talk about spiritual deception about death. Hallelujah. So, it's all good. Mm -hmm. God bless you all. God bless. And everybody on the line. Good night. Amen. Thanks, Lisa. Good night, Marianne. (laughs) Good night, Aaron. (laughs) Good night, John. Good night, Jason, Jim, Bob. (laughs) Grandma. Good night, Paul. Thank you for the giggle.
Hi, hello. 